New York Artists Collective. Hello there and welcome to the New York Artists Collective podcast this next one's about. If you haven't joined us before, this is the podcast where we interview an artist to discuss the creative songwriting process behind one of their songs. I'm your host, Stephanie Manns, singer-songwriter and co-producer of the New York Artists Collective, and today's guest is Do Pauro, LA singer-songwriter and sound healer, here to talk about her latest release, Midnight Choir. Do Pauro, welcome to the show. It's so nice um, to talk to you. Tra- tra- Trans-American, I don't, how do we, how do we do, how do we say that? Trans-country? Uh, yeah, we can say, we can go with trans-country, cross-country. Cross-country. Uh, yeah, sure. But I like okay. trans-country. <laughs> I like trans-country. Cross-country reminds me of, you know, like being at school and, you know, running and stuff. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bringing up track. Yes, that's it. Track. All of these, all of these things. And I, I, I mix up my words being not from here. Anyway, random start. So we, in fact, didn't quite meet, but we connected after you played a show for The Hum in Brooklyn. I think it was maybe a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the, more, the most interesting shows that I've seen. So you performed and you sang uh, with a full orchestral band. It was wonderful. I've certainly never seen anything like it. What was, what was the, the show like for you? Thank you. Um, it was it was very powerful. You know, I said this during the show, but I felt um, pretty emotionally overwhelmed when I got on stage, and I was not expecting that. But um, just having the experience of presenting my music in a sort of idyllic state after you know uh, twenty years of performing in less than perfect situations to just walk on stage and and feel the possibility of presenting my music the way I would dream of was really outstanding. So how long have you been doing the kind of the electronic stuff? You know, you got on stage and then you had this sort of little box in front of you and you were sort of pushing all of these buttons and creating all these magical effects. And I was like, oh, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, that's a a Helicon voice live too. And um, I've been using that for maybe six years. And what, what led you to start using that on stage? It's kind of an amazing story, actually. I was just thinking, do I tell the true story here? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so weird. I mean, it's, it's very, very weird. I was dabbling um, in like vocoders and uh, different stuff for the recording process. But in terms of live performance, I didn't have much experience with electronics. And I was just using a microphone. And anyways, a fan on Twitter who wanted to remain anonymous sent me a direct message. It was a picture of the voice live too. And he was like, I'm a huge fan of your music. Your record really affected me. Would you like one of these? And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, send me your address, which, you know, could have gone anyway. Could have gone anyway. I was like, am I about to get like something crazy in the mail? That's very trusting of you. I would have thought someone was going to turn up at my door. I mean, I believe me, I was like, this is so bizarre, but it was actually something I'd been looking at, which also freaked me out. But I had been thinking about this piece and at the time I just didn't have the money for it. Anyways, this person sent it to me. It was completely anonymous. I never heard from them again. It was just like a random act of generosity that really did open up a lot of doors for me creatively with the live performance. Let's come on to to more of your music uh, in in a moment. So you have a new song coming out called Midnight Choir. Mm-hmm. And you played this um, at the show at the Hum, and 
it really it really affected me I loved that song your set was wonderful but I think of the songs that I heard you play I think this one really kind of spoke to me so I'm, I'm so pleased that you have been so kind to, to join us for the podcast today so can you tell me tell me about the song how did you come to write it and what was the production process like for you um yeah the story of this song is kind of interesting um occasionally I'm approached by other artists to write for them um, and that was the case with this song. So three years ago, this artist named uh, Trevor Tillery asked me if I would help him write for his record. And we sat down to write this song. He never did anything with it. I remember really enjoying the process. But when I write for other artists, you know, there's a certain detachment from what happens to the song. And, and even in the writing process, it's a little bit more detached, even though I'm engaged, obviously. And yeah, he never ended up producing it. I forgot about it. And three years later, I was on a long flight. It popped up on my phone and I was like, wow, this song is still really, really moving to me. And it was standing the test of time in a bit. So I uh, brought it to my label and asked them if, if they would help me produce it. And they agreed to. And I ended up producing it with Rob Schnapp, who is a bit of a local LA legend. He worked on a lot of the Elliott Smith stuff and he just did the last Cat Power record. And an interesting guy in terms of working with more what I would say sensitive artists, even though most of us are, but <laughs> <laughs> like hypersensitive artists and, and just kind of getting them to do their thing. So that was uh, an honor to to get to work with him. I mean, in terms of the, the process of selecting a producer, was that something that you did with the label or, or did you you know seek out Rob and, and say that you wanted to make this with him? Yeah, I, I went back and forth with the label a little bit because my last record was produced in London. That wasn't seeming like an option on this one. So I was like, who in LA could I work with? And Rob has worked a lot with other artists from my record label. I'm on Anti Records. So they suggested a few people to me and then they mentioned him and I thought it'd be interesting. You know, before committing, just got together to chat and I really liked him as a person. And that's kind of, I guess it's the Stevie Nicks rule of hiring people. <laughs> she said that's how she's hired her bands. Just like if she likes them and gets along with them on just like a human basis, usually it works out. So I've been following that. It seems to me. <laughs> Makes sense, I think, for me. Yeah, with bandmates and things, it's so like you've got to like them, otherwise it's awkward. <laughs> yes, and and I I do find that a lot of times if you like them on just like a hanging out vibe, it ends up being that you generally like their music too. And I think you can you can probably create a bit more freely with them. Yes, exactly. Um, so lyrically, when you were co-writing this, how did you kind of come up with the, the story? Yeah, the lyrics are cryptic, and and they are cryptic to me too. But I had kind of positioned this idea of Trevor, who I wrote it for and with, he was about to move at the time. And we were talking a lot about beginnings and endings and missing people and saying goodbye. And I was saying how I feel like we never actually have to say goodbye to people who are kind of in our hearts in this way. That's a little bit of a, a myth in some, some ways and kind of just try to tap into into what that might look like. Tell you what, how about we have a listen to the song and then we can chat a bit more after. Sure, sounds good. Your pardon for my one 
So you moved to LA um, a little under five years ago, you were saying. So uh, what led you to LA? Um, well, I had a true seven-year itch with uh, New York, where I was living before. Um, and right around that time, I was signed to Anti Records, and they are based in Los Angeles. It just seemed like a good time to try something new and a good excuse to move to a new city. But I was having like a true crisis in terms of nature uh, with New York because I grew up in upstate New York and spent a lot of time outside. And that was something that, that California could really offer me. It's funny, the number of artists I speak to who have moved from New York somewhere else, mm. one of the, the big things is is the nature thing. It's interesting. Where are you finding other people are moving? I've spoken to a couple of people in uh, like LA, a few people in Nashville, mm-hmm. mostly kind of those two places. I think in terms of you know music, it's New York, Nashville, LA. I haven't heard, in fact, uh, one person who think he was in Portland, Oregon, out of New York, generally. Out of New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was like a really interesting thing happening there when I first moved to New York, like 2007-ish. Musically, there was so much amazing music happening there. And I'm sure there is still now, but it's, I think the need for space becomes a priority at some point for those of us who end up bouncing. And what's the music scene been like for you in, in terms of, because I mean, it must be, you know, you have to establish yourself in a new scene. How how was that for you? You know, I was lucky. There were I had a few friends out here who were already um, in the music scene, and you know, there's just there's a lot of resources out here, which is interesting. Like I think one thing that I'll say about writing in like a more secluded, isolated place is that there isn't that same confluence of ideas. Like I, I remember a friend of mine who's a, a big songwriter was saying that he actually wanted to leave LA because he was writing with all these pop artists, and they were also writing with all the other songwriters in. LA. They were just going from room to room to room. And he was like, it's impossible to get a unique idea in that process because that person's being exposed to all these other ideas and we're all just kind of overlapping. Whereas if you're like, you know, in some some basement in Michigan, just learning, doing your own thing and exploring, have potential to really develop your own unique sound. I don't know, maybe that's a little bit of a fantasy, but I, I do see that sort of thing happening with people who kind of isolate a little bit more artistically. In terms of the, the, the co-writing stuff that you do in LA, I mean, is that something that happens organically or is that something that you seek out or via your label or how does that work? A little bit of both. I love co-writing and uh, it's it's just a big part of my process in terms of inspiration. So my record label doesn't do so much of it. They tend to sign artists who are a little bit more DIY and about that sort of thing. But um, I've reached out to other artists who I respect to see about writing with them. I've had management in the past help me set up co-writers with other songwriters. And then in terms of when I actually write for other artists, that mostly happens because those artists reach out to me. Okay. So that's pretty cool that it just sort of can happen that organically. I wasn't sure what LA would would be like. I think a lot of people talk about it having a very different vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious what like the impression is from people in New York about LA in terms of the music scene. I can't comment. <laughs> I haven't I haven't been yet somewhere I would love to, to go. I definitely like to kind of experience the, the music scene. I think, you know, in terms of all of the music history, there's there's a lot of it that's that's come out of the West Coast. Um, and LA in particular so I would love to to get down there and check it all out because I'm a big nerd like that um so tell me what's coming up for you I mean I know that you've got this uh release for Midnight Choir is that part of a, a larger project that you're working on 
I'm starting to write for a new record and um, I've been getting into the the writing mode recently, which is exciting, but no like concrete LP insight, just going to be focusing on on singles and sort of figuring it out through exploring individual songs. Mm -hmm. How do you feel that the the music industry is going in terms of albums versus singles, you know, Spotify and streaming and all of that? fun stuff oh man (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah it really does seem like a it's a singles world right now I still believe in the album and I still like albums and buy them because I think there's something really valuable about having songs that aren't intended to necessarily pack in the punch on radio but there's a different type of sentiment that is part of an you know a narrative what that expressed like the particular expression of that moment and I, I really hope that there's place for records in the future and that we don't just all go towards this singles. I was thinking about it earlier today and I sometimes I'll, I'll tell a story at gigs. People don't seem to have any concept of how much music costs to make and you know how much money an artist will earn per stream on Spotify and then mm-hmm. how long it might take an artist to earn that back. And I gave an example of one and I think in terms of the money, say an album costs 10,000 in your dreams, right? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, a stream is what, 0.75 of a cent, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I think that works out to 1.67 million streams. And then, then you work out how many streams you get a year. And I think, you know, I gave an example of someone who was kind of mid-level artist at like 75,000 streams, and then that would take 22 years. And if every time <laughs> it stuns the room, it's like I've said someone's died. Wow. They can't really comprehend that. And I'm like, yep, this is this is kind of what streaming is doing to us as artists. It's ironic, really, that people stream music because they love music and yet it's killing music. I mean, we're all suffering from it, too, because the things that are being, you know, the songs that are being designed or that are making it to these major playlists a lot of times are, it's like sugar, you know? I almost feel like the writers and the producers, they're like scientists. They figured out how to get somebody's ear hooked within the first 20 seconds so that they don't skip the song on a streaming platform. And then they're rewarded by that song making it onto playlists. But it's not that the messaging is interesting. It's not that the the song is going to be necessarily like artistically moving, but it's it's certainly hooky. And it's creating this economy around the art that's pretty impossible to beat or to even mildly succeed in if you don't want to be a part of that thing. I don't know if it's one of those things where that's how things develop. I mean, back whenever they create, you know, the vinyl records were singles, you could only fit, I think it was three minutes and 30 seconds or something onto a single. Mm-hmm. So that's why all pop songs became much, much shorter. Right. I totally understand what you mean. It's this sort of, you know, the 10 seconds that you're able to preview a song on Spotify. But you've somehow got to hook a listener within 10 seconds and you don't get to choose what 10 seconds the listener hears. Right. <laughs> and so you've got to just try and make the whole thing hooky. I don't know. It's really weird. I'm, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to me that so many people are shocked by that when you explain it. Mm. I feel like I definitely live in a bubble where a lot of my community are other artists who are talking about the same thing. And I forget that, you know, the majority of people who are listening to music don't understand how this works. Why would they? Of course, when we talk to artists, they get it. And a friend of mine recently raised money on, I think it was Pledge Music. And is it Pledge Music or Kickstarter that went down? Well, I think it was Pledge Music and she's lost all of that money. <gasps> oh no. It's sort of this idea that these things that are designed to help independent artists are not. Well, I think, you know, crowdfunding can still help independent artists, but that's obviously a case where it's not worked. It's a difficult world out there, but it's it must be wonderful to be to be signed and to have that support from the label who's who's backing you and the, the art that you're making. It is, and it's, you know, I really, I really do appreciate it. Um, and I've learned a lot from them about how 
music works that I never could have, not music necessarily, but the music business. That would have been a lot taken me a lot longer to learn Mm -hmm. on my own so that's been really cool I'm super grateful for that in terms of wrapping up this single will already be out by the time the podcast is uh, released coming out July 11th and then what else do you have planned for the rest of the year in terms of releases are you allowed to to say give a little exclusive I'm not sure yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm definitely working I have a few songs right now that I'm going to be looking into producing I am also I'm headed um, to Bosnia this month to uh do a music festival there. And also I, I teach, um, yoga and breath work and sound healing workshops. So I'm going to also be sharing that work there. And I really want to make a record in the next year that's actually based around some of the, I call them like medicinal music that I do. Cause I, I've been studying for years under, um, a Tibetan teacher and learning Tibetan singing. I've also learned some, I guess like mantra and medicinal music from, um, shamanic traditions in Amazon. So that is a record that I need to figure out how to make, which won't necessarily be a commercial project, but something that, uh, my heart feels called to figure out. That sounds fascinating. I need. I think we'll need to do another podcast about that whole thing. <laughs> yes, let's do it. <laughs> okay. And if people want to support you, how? What? What is the best way to do that? Follow you on all of the things. Follow me on all the things. You know. Follow me on all the things. Follow me on Spotify. I'm on Bandcamp. All the things. Apple Music, etc. We will have a link in the details of the episode. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I wish we had more time. Me too. But the nature of these things being, people want something to commute to. So. I'm sure you have enlightened somebody's day before they've gone to work. I hope so. And thank you, Stephanie, for asking me about my music. My pleasure. Well, next time you're in New York, give us a shout and we'll we'll see what we can do and get you onto a show. Sounds good. The wonderfully talented Doe Pyro. You can check out Doe's socials from uh, the links in today's episode. Next week, I will be interviewing New York-based artist Jenny Kern with her latest release, Slow Burn. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, uh, why not? Get all your podcasty goodness and uh, new music from us right here from the New York Artist Collective. This next one's about. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Stephanie Manns. We'll see you next time. New York Artist Collective.